Welcome to the podcast of Woburn Baptist Church. We hope that you enjoy listening to the sermons and other audio provided by us. Feel free to share what you find here, and we hope that it will be beneficial to you as you seek to know and follow Christ. Have you come this morning thirsty? Have you come this morning thirsty for God? To know Him more? To experience Him more? Have you come thirsty? We find ourselves as human beings, we we are all born with this unquenchable thirst. We are, as some have called us human beings, are incurably religious we, we have a thirst for something more than what our, is our day-to-day, just you know, getting up, eating food, going to work, coming home, eating again, going to bed. That we have a thirst for something more. We have a thirst for some understanding of what this world is all about. There has to be more than just what we can see with our eyes. We have to have a thirst for more. We're born thirsting for more. Some fill that thirst with false things, with idols. Some fill that thirst with alcohol and drugs. Some fill that thirst with sex and other illicit activities. Some fill that thirst with philosophies of, of different, a quest for what, some kind of unique religion. Yet Jesus came to fill our thirst, to satisfy our thirst. This morning we, we look at Jesus as he, he talks to a woman at a well. And he tells this woman that he has a water that will make her never thirst again. Jesus offers us this water. Let's hear what God's Word says from John chapter 4. Now, when Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John... Although John himself did not baptize, but only his disciples, he left Judea and departed again for Galilee, and he had to pass through Samaria. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, wearied as he was from the journey, was sitting beside the well. It was about the sixth hour. A woman from Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God... And who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with 
and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us this well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right saying that I I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. But you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming, and now is here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. But, said, but no one said, what do you seek? Or why are you talking with her? So the woman left her water jar and went away into, a town, into the town and said to the people, come and see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Let's pray. Father, thank you again for your word. Lord, give us eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, let us worship you this morning in spirit and in truth. As your word says, true worshipers will worship in spirit and in truth. Help us to do that this morning. Father, be with me. A sinner, I need my thirst quenched in you. Lord, give me strength to preach your word in Jesus' name. Amen. We come on the heels of how last week Jesus... The report had come to John the Baptist through his disciples that Jesus was baptizing more disciples than John. And John said, good, 
That's, that's why I came. I was just a, a forerunner. He's the one who this thing is all about. But the word had spread that Jesus was baptizing more disciples than John. And it had gotten to the Pharisees. These ones who Jesus had so much conflict with. The word had come to the Pharisees that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John. So Jesus withdrew from the area that he was in. What, what would we do if we're in a place where there is fruitful ministry going on? There's lots of people coming and being made disciples. And there's lots of people coming and being baptized. And we get word that people are finding out about us. The word is spreading. What would we do? We'd want to stay right there, right? We want to stay there and continue on where it's being fruitful. And what does Jesus do? He withdraws. He withdraws. Why is this? Who can know Jesus' mind? But Jesus often would tell his disciples in the other gospels, you know, don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah. Don't. He, he, he kind of suppressed this knowledge about who he was because if people found out, they might rush in and try to make him king. Or, or maybe the Pharisees would have thought that this is some kind of a political movement that Jesus was trying to, to rise up. And it would have been disastrous for his mission. So because this word has gotten out that uh, Jesus, was, his ministry was thriving, there were many people who were coming, even more than who came to John, he withdrew from where he was and he decided to go to Galilee. On the way to Galilee, Judea was down in the south. Galilee was up in the north. And in the middle was Samaria. Samaria was where the Samaritans were. And it says here, Jesus must pass through Samaria. Now, Jews at the time would probably not have wanted to go through Samaria. We know the story of the Good Samaritan and how, how uh, the Jews and the Samaritans, they did not get along. And there's a lot of history behind that. The Samaritans um, would have come from uh, the fact that in, in Israel and Judah, Israel was the kingdom in the north and Judea, Judah was the kingdom in the south. And when in 722 B.C., the Assyrians came in and they, they uh, uh, destroyed the northern kingdom, what they did was they resettled people from the Assyrian places that they conquered in Samaria, in this region. And those people, they didn't know the God of the land. They didn't know Yahweh. And so they had a priest come and teach them the ways of, of the Lord, of the Lord God. And these people who were foreigners came and they married, intermarried with the Israelites that were left there. So the they distorted the ways of, of the true worship of God. They intermarried with all these other people and the Jews did not get along with them. The Jews wouldn't get along with them because of this half-breed status and their, their, their compromised worship. They would be defiled to go through Samaria. 
So many times they would try to, to go over to the Jordan River and they would go up along the Jordan and they'd come over so that they wouldn't have to go directly through Samaria. But here, it says that Jesus must, He had to pass through Samaria. It was a part of God's plan. He wasn't directed by the customs of the time. He was directed by the hand of God. He had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town called Sychar. As far as we know, this town may have been the, the same town uh, in, in when you read Genesis about uh, 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 the, the accounts of Jacob and Israel and, and the, the patriarchs, Shechem may have been where, where this town was, what, what this town was called at the time. And that's close to where Jacob had made this well. He dug this well. To uh, the best of archaeological evidence that we can find, the, the town probably was about a half a mile away from the well itself. Jacob's well was there. And Jacob's well is a place that we know from archaeology with pretty good certainty where it was. Um, we know where this well was at. Jacob's well was there. Wearied as he was from his journey, Jesus was sitting beside the well. And it was about the sixth hour. Jesus was traveling from Judea to Galilee. He was going through Samaria and he was wearied. He was wearied. He was thirsty. He was sitting by this well. And it was about the sixth hour. Now the sixth hour would have been about noon. So it was the heat of the day. It was noon. The sun was beating down on him. And Jesus was weary. This here points to the fact that Jesus was fully man. Jesus was fully God and fully man. We read in the beginning of John how, how the Word became flesh, how the Word was with God, He was God. He was in the beginning. He made everything. Nothing was made except through Him. He was God. Amen. Yet here we see He was weary. He was thirsty. He was fully man. Oh, it was necessary that Jesus was fully man. Not just God who came and appeared to be a human being, but He was a man. And everything that was involved in being truly human. Jesus had to become a man because only a man could take our punishment. Only a man could take the punishment due to our sins. Jesus was weary. He sat down beside this well in the heat of the day. And a woman from Samaria came to draw water. It's kind of odd. You wouldn't go a half a mile outside of town in the heat of the day to draw water. 
You come in the morning when it's cool. But this woman comes at noon whenever it's hot outside to draw water. We get a hint here that may be some reason she wouldn't want to come in the morning whenever all the other women were coming to draw water. She came in the heat of the day. Something was wrong here. And Jesus did something shocking. He said, give me a drink. The next verse tells us, For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Another thing pointing to Jesus' humanity. Jesus was asking for a drink. He was weary. And the disciples had gone to buy food. He needed to eat and he needed to drink and he he needed to rest. Jesus was fully man. And he was thirsty. And he said to this woman, give me a drink. And the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria? This shocked her. Like I said, the Jews and the Samaritans, they wouldn't wouldn't do anything together. In fact, it would be defiling to have a shared cup to, to drink from the same cup. As a Samaritan, Jesus asked this Samaritan woman for a drink. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God, and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Does he answer her question? How is it that you, a Jew, asked me, a Samaritan, for a drink? Jesus said, if you knew who I was, (laughs) if you really knew who I was, you would have been the one asking me. Jesus said that he could give her a living water. Living water. And uh, verse 11, the woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where do you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? He gave us the well and drank of it himself, as did his sons and livestock. She misunderstood Jesus. She did the same thing that Nicodemus did. In the last chapter, in chapter 3, Nicodemus was told, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, how can I be born again? Do I need to go back into my mother and be born again? The woman misunderstands Jesus in the same way. The woman hears, I could have given you living water, and she's thinking, where's your cup? (laughs) What are you going to draw water with? And she's thinking of living water as being flowing water. Water that flows from a stream that's moving. Jesus didn't have that in mind at all. Spiritual living water. What is it about water that we need so much? We we need, you know, so much of our planet is water. And so much of our bodies is water. We need water in order to live. You can go a little while without food. 
But you can't go that long without water. Before, without water, soon we'll be dehydrated and in danger of losing our lives. But Jesus said He could give a drink where this woman would never thirst again. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up into eternal life. The woman then said, she heard about this water. She heard about this this amazing water. That where she would never thirst again. And she said, Sir, give me some of this water. I want some of this water. How could I have this water? Well, just think what we might respond to this woman. We know what Jesus is talking about, right? He's talking about Himself. He is the living water. He is the one who would satisfy our thirsty souls. And so what would we say to this woman at the well when she says, Give me some of this water. What would we say? Well, so often in our evangelical churches, so often we might say, bow your head and pray this prayer. So often we might say, say yes to Jesus. So often we might say, ask Jesus into your heart. But what did Jesus say when she said, Sir, tell me about this water. Give me this water. What did Jesus respond? He said, Go call your husband and come here. He put his finger on something. We might avoid Jesus. Of course, Jesus was all-knowing. He knew what she was going to say. He, he knew this woman had no husband, but she'd had five, and the man that she was now living with wasn't her husband. He knew exactly the question to ask to put his finger on what her need was. He pointed to her sin. That might be the last thing in the world we want to do whenever we're sharing with someone and someone sounds excited saying, tell me about this water. Give me some of this water. We could be afraid to do what Jesus did and point out our sin. But that's what Jesus did. He said, go call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you're right in saying, I have no husband. For you've had five husbands. The one you're now, you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. He knew about this woman, though they've never met. And he pointed to her sin. He pointed to her real need to have her thirst quenched. The woman then responds, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. She can tell there's something different about him. 
He knows things that he shouldn't know. She says, our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where we are to worship. Isn't that what a lost person in their sin would do when Jesus would put his finger on their sin? What does she do? She changes the subject. She points to a religious controversy. When we want to share the gospel with someone, tell them about Jesus, about how he came to live our life, to die our death, to to die on the cross, and what we need to do is repent of our sins and turn to Christ. What do people do? Well, they, they say, well, you know, Christians disagree about all these different things. Christians disagree. You know, which church is really the right church? You know, do you need to be a Roman Catholic? Do you need to be a Protestant or a Baptist or Presbyterian? And all of that is just avoiding the issue. When Jesus comes, he puts his finger on the sin problem. And all of our religious controversies that we might try to throw up in the way are just excuses. Jesus will have none of that. Jesus says, he he does give her an answer, but he doesn't justify her excuses. He says, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know, but we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. For the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship Him. She's wanting to know who's right here, the Jews or the Samaritans? Well, he gives her an answer. He says, well, the Jews are right here, but that's not the point. There's a time coming and now is when it's not going to matter where you worship. It doesn't matter. The the issue is not where you worship, whether it's in Mount Gerizim like the Samaritans did or whether it's in Jerusalem. Jesus says there is a time coming at His point in history, which is now here, where it does not matter where. What matters is the how and the who. Worship in spirit and in truth. What does it mean to worship in spirit and in truth? First of all, in spirit, to worship God, to truly worship Him, it takes the Holy Spirit to change us. We can't worship God except for a sovereign movement of the Holy Spirit to come and change us, to open our eyes, to make us new so that we will worship Him. That is what it is to worship in spirit, to have been born again, for the Spirit to blow on you, to make you a new person, a new creation in Christ Jesus. True worshipers have been worship, our worshipers who have been touched by the Holy Spirit, who have been born again. And it doesn't matter place, location, or tribe, or tongue, or nation. Because God is calling people from every tribe, tongue, and nation to worship Him in spirit. And in truth. What is it to worship in truth? You can go to many churches. What you see is just 
excitement. Just some, some kind of frenzy of emotion. And you can work somebody up on a psychological level into a frenzy of emotion. But Jesus says true worshipers worship in truth. Well, I'm not against emotion. We need to have emotion. We need to be moved by the truth. When, when we really have the truth, the true God and, and doctrine from the Bible, it ought to move us emotionally. Not an empty emotionalism, but truth. Worshiping the true God for who He is, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The truth, the God who left heaven and came to earth, who came, became an infant, who lived a sinless life, who died on a cross and rose again for our justification. True worshipers are those who worship, who have been born again, and true worshipers are those who seek after the truth of Scripture. We are worship, we worship when we hear God's word and it moves us because of the truth of it. The Father seeks such people to worship Him. Then He says, God is spirit. And those who worship Him must worship in spirit and in truth. In contrast, in the ancient world, you see many different gods and goddesses. You usually see these different idols people would make with their hands. Jesus says, God is not like that where you have to go to a certain place and bow down and do certain rituals. No, God is spirit. He is everywhere. He is all-knowing. And when true worshipers worship, we worship in spirit and in truth. The woman responds. She knows something. She's heard something. You know, see, the Samaritans, they had a version of the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. They didn't use the rest of the Old Testament, but they had a version of the and in these first five books, we know from G Genesis 3, there is one who would come who would be a seed of the woman, who would come and crush the serpent's head. There is an expectation even within the first five books of the Bible that there would be a Messiah that was to come. And she had heard about this one. She said... To him, I know that the Messiah is coming. He who is called the Christ. When he comes, he'll explain all these things. Think about the conversation up to this point. Jesus put her, his finger on her sin. She changes the subject. She says, well, what about... The Samaritans and the Jews, they, they just say we need to worship in different places. Jesus cuts through all of the excuses. He says, it's not going to matter where you worship. It matters that you worship in spirit and truth. And what does she say? Well, when the Messiah gets here, He'll explain it all. 
She's still kind of avoiding. And what does Jesus say? I who speak to you am He. I'm Him. I'm the Messiah. You know, He doesn't really say that to anybody else. And when Peter says, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, what does he tell him? Don't tell anybody. This is not information that he just gives to anybody at this point. Yet Jesus says to this Samaritan woman, this person who would be an outcast among the Jews, a Samaritan, a half-breed, religiously unfaithful, someone who was a woman, One of the lower people in society in that time, he says to her, I am the Messiah. I'm that one. He tells her what authority he has to fix this religious conundrum. Jesus, just then his disciples came back. And they were amazed. Earlier, the woman was amazed. She was amazed because Jesus was talking to a Samaritan. Now, the, mar- the, the, the disciples came back and they were amazed because Jesus was talking with a woman. But no one said anything. They respected their master. No one said, what do you seek? Or what are you talking with her for? The woman left her jo- water jar and went away. She was so amazed about what Jesus had told her. She forgot her water jar. You ever do that? You you go to do some task and then something distracts you because it is amazing and you just forget what you were doing? That's what happened with Jesus here, with what happened with this Samaritan woman. She forgot all about what she came to do. She came out in the heat of the day when it was high noon to fill this water jar She gets talking with Jesus and she's so amazed she goes back into the town and she forgets her water jar. She leaves it there. She goes back into the town and she tells the people, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Christ? (laughs) Of course, Jesus just told her she was. He was. Could this be the Christ? And they went out of the town... And we're coming to him. This is an amazing story. Jesus reached out to people who would be on the low ends of society, people that he, you know, good Jews would not have anything to do with. And yet Jesus reached out to her. You know, we need to follow that example in our life and in our ministry. To go and reach the people who no one else would care about. Who no one else would want to reach. To to cross barriers. Not just to try to find people who are like us. But to go to the lowly. To go to those who are different from us. And what do we have to offer? We have the same thing that Jesus had to offer. We come bearing the water of life. The true water of life. We, everyone is thirsty. 
Everyone thirsts for something that gives life, meaning to their life. Everyone is thirsting for forgiveness. We all have sinned. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all live with this guilt. And we need something to quench that. We need something to quench the guilt. And that can only be done with the water of life of Jesus. So we follow Jesus' example and we go to those who are poor and those who are outcasts of society. We go and we tell them about this water of life and we tell them to trust in Jesus. Jesus said, if you knew the gift of God, well, what does John mean? What does Jesus mean whenever he says the gift of God? We just think back to the last chapter. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What is the gift of God that Jesus was talking about here? It was himself. God gave his son. When we go to the poor, to the destitute, to those who are lost and dying in their sin, we go and we lift up and we tell them about the gift of God. That God gave His Son for them. Are we amazed at Jesus? The disciples were amazed that Jesus would do things that nobody else would do. The woman was amazed. She was so amazed she forgot her water pot. Are we amazed by Jesus? Do, when we come are, are we j- to, to worship Him, are we just doing a routine that we do week in and week out? Or are we amazed at who Jesus is? That He would save a wretch like me? Have we lost our sense of amazement? Those are things that we can get from this text. Are you amazed? Jesus. Have you tasted of the water of life that never runs dry? Are you giving that water away? Are you crossing barriers like Jesus crossed barriers to take the gospel to those who are not like you? That's what Jesus calls us to do. He gave his life for us. And He gives us the water that will satisfy our souls. Thank you for listening to this message from Woburn Baptist Church. For more information, please visit us at www.wilburnbaptistchurch.org or you can also like us on Facebook.